everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast, guys. I have a ravenous reader who's and writer who's joining us today. She's an incredible author with an incredible catalog of stuff, and I can't wait to share her story with you guys. So, without further ado, let's welcome Susan Payne. Hi, I, everybody. Did I get that right? The last your last name right? Yes, Payne. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just, I always like worrying that I don't, you know, pronounce it properly. So, you know. No, mine's easy. <laughs> English so mine's supposed to be easy. Yeah. Mine's supposed <laughs> to be easy, but people get it wrong all the time too. So it's like, you know. Um. So yeah, tell us about your book or books, whichever ones you want to, to plug today. Well, I have been um, writing mostly for... Uh, DSP, which is a, a firm that, that publishes mostly Westerns. Um, yes. And they do a lot of the books that kind of maybe your grandparents read. Um, I was brought in under their Magnolia line, uh, Magnolia Blossom line, which um, yes. was romance. And so they wanted a little more romance besides the you know, to go along with all the, the Western part. Yeah. And, um, <coughs> great. 
Um, and so we decided uh, that my writing was was a little bit of, of both. And I got moved from the Magnolia line up to the DSP line, which had more story to it. Usually romances are basically centered on the romance only. And I always yeah. had a story that went along with mine as far as the rest of the person's life. Um, yeah, the backstory. My theory yeah. is that love doesn't happen in a vacuum. It would be nice if we could just see that one person we were attracted to from across the room and focus on them. But that's not how it works. And so there's always draws. You have either jobs or family duties or um, in, in modern days, you have the, you know, the transportation of, of everything between things. So it's yeah. not the knit community that they used to live in. So um, I write mostly in the 1870s, 1880s. So if you lived in a town, you knew pretty much everyone around you. If you lived out on the farm, then you were really, you know, more cut off. But you always went to the town for churches and and, and to get your, and stuff, your provisions. Yeah. So those became your two spots, <laughs> to, you know. Yeah. And there, there, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything, any way to learn about anything else. Um, so in some ways, we we think of them as being backwards, but in, but they weren't necessarily backwards, but they were limited. You know, if we just yeah. took ourselves away from television and telephones, especially, and the Internet and newspapers, we wouldn't know much besides what was immediately around us. Yeah. So that's how I come. My characters come from that background. So my characters can't have knowledge of anything besides what I felt that their life was at the time. Exactly. Yeah. So, but um, I, I, very I think happy your your work does so much. Like, there's so much detail to it because I have had a chance to see some of it, and there is a great deal of, of detail. And I think I love the fact that you put backstory in because I was always a writer that fought for backstory in my own novels and my own romance stuff. And I think it's it adds value to it, and the fact that you're able to do that in a historical setting where there's not so many sort of feeders of different distractions for people. And it is very focused on family, church, provisions, taking care of everybody is incredible. And I think what you've put together is, is, is something remarkable. Well, thank you. It's, um, my kids sometimes think I lived in that era <laughs> no they think well my mother was little she got in the horse and buggy and <laughs> you know, i think and, they all do that yeah yeah <laughs> kids are really good for that making you feel older than you are yeah i i totally i totally follow you on that one yeah i'm i'm you know and and the thing is i think i was born at the most perfect time because my aunts that i was raised with um my mother was very close to her mother and her her mother's sisters. So I was raised by women who were born in 1870. And yeah. that 
carried over. Uh, they lived to be quite uh, elderly. And, you know, the things they said, the things they taught me comes from what they learned and what their mother taught yeah. them. And so... Uh, Tradition, yeah. Yes. And, and it's it's uh, just the way way things were back then. You worked hard. Uh, you know, there was no such things as vacations. You know, farmers no. didn't take vacations. <laughs> no, farmers still don't. There's a lot of farmers <laughs> that don't. So I totally get that. I grew up in a a fishing village. Um, I was lucky because both mom and dad worked. My dad worked in the fishing industry. He sold insurance and was a debt collector. And my mom was a chef. So my grandfather kind of raised me and he was very much of the same mind frame of whatever, you know, the tradition was in the island, you, you sort of passed down. And I got it from like, I had so many family around me that I just constantly was getting educated on sewing and knitting and fishing and smuggling and how to trade with people and how to, you know, loyalty was a huge thing in our family and trust was a huge thing in our family. And that was really, really installed in me. And I think grandparents and great aunts and aunts, they all play a huge role in how we raise our kids. Um, and that was certainly the case with me because if I was sick, I got passed off to the grandparents so <laughs> mom could go to work and dad could go to work. Um, and so I ended up spending most of my life with them. And I, you know, where I grew up, the internet was not a thing till like much later on. Uh, mobile phones was not a big thing. So if we wanted to talk to each other, we had to go to each other's houses and we knew where everybody lived and we all kind of knew each other's parents and all that kind of stuff. So we we were a bit kind of sheltered in that regard because it was like, I would say it's like the olden days where, you know, we still had pay phones right up to like 2006, which some of us still used. Um, you know, I say that and everybody would be like, what the hell's a pay phone? But that was just, you know, you had to memorize people's phone numbers because you Nine out of ten, you were not, you know, you'd need to phone somebody if you got stranded somewhere. And the payphone usually was your only option. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I, <clears throat> my stories are usually about ordinary people. I mean, it's easy yeah. to write about kings and queens and. Of course, famous, yeah. Famous people, because there's so much information about them out there that you can study. Um, of course, and and it always sounds so wonderful their life, uh, yeah. but when you get the nits and gritty and you go, well, you know they had to have people that pick the fleas off their furs before they put them on, um, or you know the lice out of their hair, uh, shaved their head so that they, you know, and then wore wigs. I mean, you know, you go back far enough, life wasn't so pretty. <laughs> you know? No, it wasn't. <laughs> No, and then I, I, I have written not necessarily about those things, but I've written of that time period. And, um, you know, their food wasn't that grand. Uh, their their choices were, were limited. Um, um, canned yeah, food whatever you canned. got given, you had to eat was essentially what we had. So I can totally understand that. Yeah, it's, it's what was, you know, <clears throat> whatever got trapped that day or whatever. <laughs> You know, uh, 
there, there wasn't Whatever any fish they caught. Yeah. Yeah. If they had some salted fish for, you know, to keep them over for, you know, for periods of time when you, they couldn't get. Yeah. then that's what they, they had. Um, but there was times when food became scarce uh, and yeah. it was an issue of, you know, eating your field seed for the next spring or not making it through the winter. So if you eat your seed, um, you know, there's yeah, still countries that, was, that have to make that decision. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, you know, <clears throat> we look at the farming system nowadays and there's a lot of farms that are going under and it's, it's making everything so expensive because there's lack of competition. Now. There's lack of, you know, resources and things like that. Um, and I think that's almost lost in our society now. So that's why I like fiction novels that just remind us about why farmers are important, why fishermen is important, why knowing that these resources need to be kept going is important. There's more to life than just going to the supermarket and getting your groceries. Somebody's probably raised that piece of beef you're eating, fed it, calved it, you know, done everything with it. And then, you know, they've probably even driven it to get slaughtered. So I, I think it's really important to have historical novels in our today's life because it does. It helps to drive. It helps to drive home a reminder of, of where we came from and what we need to not forget. Well, it, it, it does drive you back to the, the basics. Um, yeah. Self-entertainment as far as <clears throat> singing and playing a guitar and uh, uh Telling stories, and you know things that they could do when it became dark outside, and you know, and and they had to just the the same same family members within the home that's that's always there. Um, they always, you know, like too many of the stories of the books uh, would write about all these, you know, these parties and things. But that's that's a like Regency London, but. The, that was a very small group of people that lived that way. The rest yeah. of them did not live that way. Someone had to be the person who 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 washed those dance slippers and who who cleaned up after them. And you know, yeah. uh, it's it's. Um, I like it's writing. Funny, it's funny you say that because one of my writing idols growing up was Catherine Cookson, and Catherine Cookson wrote about the everyday working person. So she talked about being a maid in a house. She talked because that's how she started. She started off as a, as a maid and she was in the cleaning service and she wrote at night. That was her entertainment. That was how she coped with it. And she talked about racism and disability inequality and female inequality in her books, but she did it from the point of view of the everyday Joe rather than it being about famous or whatever. She really did focus on what is it that we live with every day and what is it that, you know, makes our stories important. And I think her voice is so unique and important to the historical fiction world because she was one of the very first to do any of that. Hmm. Have you heard of her? No. I haven't. That's why I'm making mental note. <laughs> I mean, she she was amazing. Because um, when I first started reading, I was dyslexic. And 
when I picked up her books, I realized she was dyslexic too, because my brain was automatically filling in the, the difference or like where the, where the grammar should be was going in my head. And she writes like somebody would talk to you. So you could tell that a lot of her books was dictation and that somebody had dictated her books down on paper for her. And I think she has such an amazing story because she, she was dyslexic. She had a rare blood disorder. She couldn't have a family. Her books became entirely her life because she couldn't have what was considered a normal life, you know? And I think I, I just find her really fascinating. And when I get um, other sort of historical writers on, I love to talk about her and share her with people because she's kind of, fading away now um the generations now have no idea about her and i think i think that's a shame yeah i um i've read i don't know you read the book and it almost reads as if it's a um a diary or or you yeah. know that the person it was you know of that the the person i like to read those kind of of things um even if it's if it's not truly their life um usually they uh tell us about things that you know we wouldn't think about or know about um like i said i had my aunts and they were which actually were great aunts and they were um just kind of typical with the uh, a little bit of help along the way i mean I was too young to have boyfriends yeah. or anything yet, but I remember uh, they got into a conversation about when they had bows uh, in their earlier life. And it was just interesting what they thought was important and what they did. And yeah. part of it was they only had one dress. Literally, they had mm -hmm. one dress. They wore an apron over it to protect it. Um, but then to make it look like a new dress, they would change the ribbon or add lace collar or a tatted collar or something. And then that was their, their new summer dress. But, yeah. um, it, it, you know, it kind of boggles the mind for, for us in this day and age to think of a, a child only having one set of clothing or, God forbid, been, you know, one pair of yeah. shoes, uh, you know, just things like like that. But it was it was normal for them. And I think back, I don't think they had a lot of clothes even when I knew them. Now they were in their probably eighties uh, at that time. But you know, I think I remember my grandmother wearing the this button apron. You know, she put it over her head and buttoned it at the waist, and and yep. it, uh pretty much covered everything and 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 that was what I re always remember her wearing and my father's uh parents were farmers uh although his father had a job in a uh manufacturing company also just to make ends meet but yeah they they farmed like you know 40 acres in their quote spare time unquote uh it was yeah. you know it was something that I learned from that, you know, you get up, you start working and you do not stop um, for anything. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know? I remember those days as well. Yeah. Cause even growing up as I did, 
I didn't maybe have it as rough as that, but I understood that we would get up in the morning and there was like a set routine. Like we had a set number of things we had to get done in that day. And that was very much driven into my mind by my grandmother. And I think that's where my work ethic comes from when it comes to writing is get up, get it done, stop your moaning, stop your complaining, just get on with it. Um, and I think that's a really good thing to install in people because it gives you drive, it gives you ambition, and it gives you a lot of the resources you need to make it work. Hmm. Well, I, I found that <clears throat> my couples would come to me as, as a couple and they would like introduce themselves pretty yeah. much and they would tell me a little bit about their story and I became more of a stenographer than, than oh, a writer. Okay. Yeah. And so I was trying to keep up with what they were telling me, uh, how they were speaking to one another, what they were saying uh, and also how they were saying it and at yeah. the same time putting a little bit of where they were and what they were wearing and um but the majority of, of my you know focus was they were just sometimes talking over themselves so i was very um busy putting putting books together um and that's that came that hasn't stopped yet it might eventually i figured that okay eventually everybody's going to have their story told there and i'm going to sit here in my chair alone. <laughs> but that never I happens. That... I, I can oh, have my hand I... up and say it never happens. It doesn't happen. You will be writing okay, well, on your deathbed, you know? Uh, yeah, there'll be still st people saying, wait, wait, I've got one more more story to, to, to tell you. And um, you'll be like, no, I can't. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I, on, I mean, I know what it's like. <laughs> I know what it's like because I've been like, I have arthritis, so I get super ill sometimes and there's nothing worse than lying in a hospital because you don't get any peace in hospital. And I think that's a misconception everyone has, but you're lying there and nine out of 10, I'll have a character standing next to my ear, wittering, wittering about some story they want me to, to get off my lazy backside and write. And I've seen me, you know, with like, IVs in my arms and barely able to open my eyes or whatever and my hands will be going across the keyboard just putting down that story that, that they're telling me and if I don't I don't get any rest I can't I've never been able to switch my mind off I've never been able to not think about the next story or the next step or the next chapter it, it's always there it's always on the go and, and I'm I, I feel grateful for it, but at the same time, I feel it does feel like a curse. <laughs> so you, at least you understand well, my pain on this score. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and I'm also dyslexic. So, um, so and, we're and definitely sisters from the uh, <laughs> sisters in arms on this one. Yeah. Yes. And my children all are, and, and some were diagnosed with, you know, ADD also, um, which yeah, I always, awful. yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure I I was as a, a child just because I was always going, you know. But um, I've settled down as a matron, and and um, and I. Yeah. But I love I love children with ADD because they are so 
fascinating. They they come up with ideas. They that, are. That yeah. maybe, you know, I wouldn't have thought to do or, or you know, watch or whatever it was. Um, it's like when my third child was, oh, I think she was about maybe nine, ten months old. She was by my sliding glass door and an aunt had come in and she's watching it and she's trying to pick it up with her little right. fingers. And of course the aunt faster, you know, babies look, move. And by the time she got there, the aunt was no longer there. And so she's, she's trying to pick it up. And I, and I wanted her to be able to try to pick it up, but I also wanted to be close enough that if she picked it up, she would pop it in her mouth before I. Yeah. Got to yeah. Her. I was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, but, but that's what it I. It wouldn't I, have harmed you know. her if she had it. It wouldn't have done no, her any no, harm. No, they need ants other places. You know, it was just you know one ant. But still, yep. I wasn't. You know, I, I was close enough to tell her. You know, ock. But it's. Uh, yeah. It was just something that I I realized to her. That's a big thing. That ant is you know compared to her was very big, very interesting, and, and yeah. you know, worth paying attention to. The rest of the world ignored the thing, you know, wouldn't have even yeah. realized it, it was there. And that's when I, I mean, realized I, I'd like to I really love, I love that story that you just told me because <laughs> I love that story you just told me because the I worked with kids with disabilities uh, at a school for a number of years. And I loved the kids that would come in with just ADHD that was just raging, you know, because I could almost take them and just take them to class and I could get them through their class, but I could harness a lot of their energy. And that was what I had to teach them was like, take this energy that you've got that you want to do all these other things with. And I showed them like how to do it and how to do it with the, the discipline they needed. And I met some amazing kids. I had one kid who was doing physics on a university level and he was only in his first year of high school. And he figured out how to hack things. So we had to keep an eye on him to make sure he wasn't hacking the school <laughs> because he was bored. You know, it was like things like that. But yeah, if you put him in a room with people, he couldn't cope. He hated, he could not be around other people. He just, it just was not something he could go with. And I just love it when you get kids like that because you just never know what's going to come out of them. And I especially love the kids with autism because my brain was like firing off of theirs. Like it was just such a chemical reaction between how they would behave and then how I would respond. Um, I, you know, I thought it was amazing. I love kids like that. I could work with kids like that all day long. Yeah. I, I did work with kids like that all day long and I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't anything uh, that I did intentionally, but I was a scout leader. So I had a lot of little boys. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> at, one, at one time. That, that's that's an undertaking and a half. I give you full 100% credit on that one. I couldn't do that. So I take my hat off to you. Well, the girls, um, we had over 20. And, wow. and in, a, in a group, not a problem. No, no, girls, girls, I, you know, 
the, the boys, we had six to eight, I believe, in, in a troop. They, they didn't allow, you know, they didn't like bigger ones than that because, you know, you couldn't... Um, uh, you can wrangle them as well. Yeah, yeah you can, can wrangle them as well. Into the, into the, the mass. So, uh. Uh, but that's, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed those years. And I, and, and kids who were told, you know, who, who, you know, I was told, oh, they're just completely, un, you know, uncontrollable, uncontrollable. It's like, no, they're yeah. not. Give them something they will focus on. And, you know, that kind of also is where they say, you know, uh, ADD, oh, they can't focus. <clears throat> I always found that they hypo-focused. That yes, they really I'm, I'm paying attention to you. <laughs> yeah, every every kid, every like, because I worked, <clears throat> I was crazy. I did the the teaching assistant thing, and then at night, I did youth clubs, and I would take these kids that they completely roll off in our community. You would say, oh, they're ADHD, they're artistic, they cannot socialize with other kids. And I said, give them to me and I will prove you wrong. And I did. I helped these kids integrate into youth club settings where they knew the rules, they knew, they learned how to socialize, they learned how to share, they learned how to communicate, and they fitted in. And I actually had one dad walk up to me and he had literally tears in his eyes because he had three ADHD, highly artistic kids. Three. Not just one, he had three. And some of them didn't sleep. And he said to me, he's like, thank you. You got my son into this youth club. You got him to socialize. And now he is actually starting to teach his brother how to do it. And just by me taking the time to sort of hand over to the other youth leaders, because I was head youth leader, but handing over and saying, look, you, Nikki, can go talk. You, Nikki, go do that. I'll work with him. And I slowly got it so that he would work with the other with the other kids. But he had that support and it made him feel safe. He wasn't bullied. He wasn't ostracized. I got it to work. But without people that know what they're doing to help kids in these situations it just doesn't work and I've worked with adults with ADHD and some of the most amazing writers I've ever met in my life um, are dyslexic and have ADHD and if I just slow it down with them and I listen to them and I don't argue every point with them and I hear through what they're saying it's easier to work with them because I, I understand how their brain's firing compared to how my brain's firing. And I can get that kind of common ground in the work done. I admire anybody that takes anything like that on. So you've completely taken my hat off my head and has walked home with it, as far as I'm concerned. Well, <clears throat> it seems like an age ago, but, but um, I, you know, I do it all over the same. I didn't, you know, I enjoyed children. Uh, I enjoy people watching more than than participating. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm the one who goes to the bar, sits in the back corner, facing outward, and you know, and and watching. I've the done that. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's I weird. Found because... that I found it all the time. <laughs> I find this, and this is no. 
obviously. But I find that every author I've had on this, I, this podcast is a year old. And every author I've had on it, we all say the same thing. We people watch. It's like a really bad habit. But we all, if we're in a coffee shop, if we're in a restaurant, it doesn't matter where we are. But we start to notice certain people in the room and we follow those people. And that ends up kind of inspiring things inside us and it helps with the writing. But it's really bad as well because you're kind of aware that you're watching these people and then you're kind of like trying to cover up the fact you're watching them. Um, but yeah, my mother is actually the reason I started people watching because when it, I couldn't do a lot as a kid, I had, a, I had arthritis from two and a half years old. So my mom would take me to the, the shopping center or the mall and we would sit on the top floor and there was this little cafe area where we could get food and she would just buy stuff that I could eat and we would watch the people that were below us and then me and her would come up with stories about the people we were watching and that's I swear that's how I got started in writing was just coming up with stories to entertain my mom while we were trying to eat ice cream or or whatever it was she was attempting to get me to eat because I was one of those kids that wouldn't eat anything and so she was constantly fighting with me and we did that all the time it didn't matter where we went we always sort of always did that. Um, and I think, I think all of us just are generally curious about the human psychology and human nature in general. I just am editing a book where two very close friends, uh, the one did not have a mother, so she gravitated to the household full of children um, and, and yeah. spent a lot of time with them. But they, they had a game where they would, say something and in the book it was uh oh he just robbed a bank you know and the other one would say yes and he's got some jewels that he found in the safe you know in his pocket oh and he's going and the so they were like putting together stories yeah yeah a story between the two of them and then they would fall into giggles and laughs because it it was so outrageous and, and and it wasn't anything that um, I think those are really the best, funny. though. But yeah, that, like those are I, the best I, because you know that's, you're. <clears throat> I think they're the best because you're collaborating with somebody else, so you're feeding off each other. Like, do you not find that when you're sitting and because we all do these exercises when we go to romance conventions? So we'll sit and like a round table, and we'll come up with like a story, and we just feed off each other. I think those are the best because. It's just ideas. It's like pure, raw, creative power that we're, we're sharing with each other. Do you, do you find that when you're doing those exercises? I am a very more contained. And I think it's because my characters come to me. I'm writing a yeah. story rather than I'm out there trying to find things. I mean, um, the, there's, there's a lot of new things out there, snowflakes, you know, theories and and uh, tarot cards and uh, you yeah. know and I I don't I don't want to say I don't need them um, it, it, I can't use them because my my people no. already have their yeah. story and my saying oh I'm you know what would work well in here is if we bring in a third person and 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 they look at me going 
what you talking about? There's no third person. It's her and yeah. me. And listen to what we're saying, please. You know, but get back on on track. Track, um, yeah. Yeah, and and so a lot of times I don't know where it's going. Uh, I mean, with the romance, it's always a happy ending, uh, but uh, it's not. Uh, there's a lot of things that come into it. I I had a critiquer once uh, tell me, I don't I don't find any chemistry between these two people, and it's you know it's the usual you you. It, all they wanted was the first, uh, like, two chapters to read. And I sent it in, and and, and I, she said, I don't find any chemistry between these two. I think you need to go back, throw it out, start over. <clears throat> and That's the I worst feedback. That always is, yeah. Well, it wasn't. The problem was it wasn't the couple. The couple wasn't there yet. There was one of the couples, the other one. Yeah. What we were saying is how badly, you know, the choice was. Um, so I don't always do a lot of romance. People do is introduce their couple the first chapter, um, pretty much stage out who they are, where they are, and everything. You know, by the second chapter, I I sometimes when you're start my books, the couple isn't there yet. They don't know one another. Or if they know one another, they don't know that that is going to be the love of their life. Yeah. It, it unfolds. Something causes them to change their viewpoint. Um, yeah. I do a lot of mail-order brides because back then, you normally wouldn't come into contact uh, with a lot of men. But on a mail-order no. bride... You have to come into contact with that man. You're married to him. You're in his home. Yeah. You know, your life is his life to pretty much, you know, if he wants to beat you, um, that's, that's allowed. I mean, if, if, if he wants to starve you, it doesn't matter. You, you basically belong to that man and you have to kind yeah. of acknowledge that in the story. And the, the woman, the bride has to acknowledge that fact too. I mean, that it was just a, a general given that, that you know, mail-order bride uh, wasn't something that you did lightly or that you, because no. divorce was rare to none. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it was a life, <clears throat> something that demanded it because you couldn't do anything else to save your, your life. That was, you know, that was the only way you could figure out to, to make it in the world. When I was growing up in Shetland, arranged marriages was something that happened and it was normal to us. It wasn't until I went to mainland Scotland that I found out that that was something that they'd stopped doing 50 years before. So there is still places in the world where that situation still occurs. I wouldn't say... I agree with it, but I know it still happens. I know there's still families that breed with other families because they're trying to keep the bloodline a certain way or they want to keep land or they want to keep, you know, prestige of whatever uh, within the family units. Um, and I, I think that's like, I don't hold anybody against doing it, but I, I've seen the consequences of those relationships and I've seen how badly they can go. And I think 
addressing that in your work the way you're doing it is good because it's just reminding women how far we've come to the point where you know this was you know when we were back in those times women didn't have rights they didn't have voices they didn't have much about anything and now look at us we're we're running companies we're running countries we're you know we've taken over and i think that's really a really positive thing to kind of come out of your work. Yes, because a lot of times um, where with the, the era that I'm writing, women did yeah. not, were not allowed to go have a bank account. They did not go into the bank and get money out of a, a, a you know, and of the husband's yeah. account normally. They couldn't own land. So your husband dies, you have no male relative, and they pretty yeah. much give your land to you know, whoever. Somebody else, yeah. That's Then supposedly they shall take care of you. But they don't yes. have to. There's no, no. there's no law that says that they can, that, you know. Um, and you would get a lot of men can, that would marry, you know, young women for their land, you know, and then sort of use them up and then throw them aside. You know, that happened a lot. Um, I saw that in the fishing industry where, you know, if somebody's dad and brother had passed on in a fishing accident and the mom was there or the daughter was there, they would marry the daughter or they would marry the mom to get the company or to get the boat or to get, you know, whatever it was that they had left over. Um, and I, I like sometimes going back and reading the fiction, those sort of fictions because it reminds me of how far we've come and how different attitudes are, I think it's a good kind of reminder of, hey, yeah, this was how it was, so let's enjoy how it is now, you know? Um, I wrote a, a, a book about a sheriff uh, who got entangled with a suffragette, and, of course, every town oh, that wow. he dragged her through, she, you know, yep. he'd go to sleep, and in the morning he'd wake up to these these drums beating out and, and she's standing on the, you know, a back of a wagon rallying all the women who've come in for their groceries uh, and yep. things to, to go home and deny their husband, their, their, their body and, and do this and demand this. And, and he's going, she's going to get herself killed, you know? And so yeah. he has to quick race off and save her again and, you know, drag her to another town where she, does, all does it all over stuff. again? Yep. <laughs> he just, yeah, he's just his too many fires. He just can't put them out. But I love also, that. I do. Changed, I really love that. It it changed his way of thinking because, of um, you know, I mean, he was a sensible man, and really, it was unsensible the way they treated women. Um, yeah, there was. One state, I, I believe it was Wyoming, that gave the women the right to vote early on before anybody else did. Yeah. And they did that to draw the women into the state because they knew if the women came, the men would follow yeah. and they would have families. And that would bring their population up so that it was high enough to become a state. And so yeah. that's how territories were, why they were giving away the free lands and stuff. But this is, you know, this is just one one section, one woman, one man. But that was that was their story that they told me, and yeah. it's, you know, 
got some humor through it because, you know, he's getting frustrated with her. And why can't she just be normal? Why can't she just, you know, settle down and, and be a woman? And of course, he's very attracted to her. She's, she is lovely and just very opinionated and willing to share that with everybody. <laughs> so I love um, that. I, I love that story because it's, it's, the start of the, you know, the women changing things. I love that he has to kind of almost realize, oh, I gotta go put this fire. Like, oh no, I gotta go for this. Like, you know, I love that kind of back and forth. And I think that there's humor there as well, which makes it more lighthearted and more enjoyable for readers. So can I ask, what are you reading like right now? Cause I, I've seen reports that you read up to 50 books a month so what is it that you're devouring at the moment what's your what's sticking out to you at the moment um not so much i try not to write the genre that i'm i mean i try not to read the genre that i'm writing because yeah of course i don't want it to taint me you know uh sometimes if you read someone too much um it will you can hear her her his voice come through your work, you know, yeah, accidentally, yeah. the type of thing. And so, uh, but I like Gina Conklin. Um, she, okay. she, she does a little, you know, kind of Viking, but up to Regency. Uh, she tends to yeah. do historicals more than anything else. Um, I'd like, have you uh, tried the contemporary stuff? Have you tried contemporary romance or? I do not care for contemporary romance. Oh, okay. Because I don't think there's as much conflict mm. in it. Um, I have a book for you in mind, actually, when I said that. Because um, I understood the second I started talking to you, this woman loves conflict. And i it's so rare that I find readers, uh, particularly authors that are readers, who love conflict and who love to like really sink their teeth into kind of the bigger picture of, of, of a story that likes that backstory. Uh, so I did a book series um, and it's contemporary fiction. So it's not contemporary romance, contemporary fiction. And it's about two sisters and they turn on each. Well, one turns on the other. And releases her diaries to the world. So you, can you imagine all your pub, your diaries suddenly being public domain, right? Every woman's worst nightmare. Because we write stuff in there that we really shouldn't write. <laughs> so so Layla does this to her twin, Marie, because she thinks that she's helping her sister. By deburdening her sister with all these secrets that she's kept for like years. But what she doesn't realize is Marie's had this whole secret life that she's been living that now is coming front and center and she can't ignore that life anymore. So her estranged husband returns and her brother-in-law returns and now she's got to deal with these men that she kind of thought were behind her, but now they're front and center in her life again. And at the same time, she's got that kind of anger at her sister for doing what she did, but she also has this need to protect her sister. So you get that really kind of complicated relationship between them, whereas Marie's trying to protect Layla and Layla's just no clue, just barreling ahead, just totally wreaking devastation everywhere she goes. And then you've got their dad who 
has broken the relationship with his daughters be, keep, by keeping secrets from them. And now they know these secrets and they, he's desperately trying to kind of repair that relationship. And to me, it was always about when I wrote that series and, and luckily that book's relaunching on 21st of August. Um, I liked the idea of the conflict. I liked building a spider web from giving readers all the different perspectives of all the people that were involved the main characters that are involved. So the, the, the story grows and the more as the story grows, the more backstory you learn and the more you get to really feel like you have a connection with these characters. So I think you might enjoy it. I think you would enjoy the conflict and the, you might feel sorry for Marie a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to get your copy set out. I'll get the, I'll, well, yeah, I, I was going to say, I'll take the name and, and, the, yeah, the, the title of the book and in when you can share recommendations with people uh, because like for instance i shared Catherine cookson with you earlier but i think it, as authors we have to know what's going on in the market we have to almost be aware of more than just our stories because obviously marketing plays an issue and we have to think about that and we have to think about all these different elements and i think sharing other people's work in a in a situation like this when it's just two people talking is so important because we're also expanding the reader's point of view and we're giving other writers opportunities to get known. And I I read contemporary. I don't write contemporary and that's yeah because um number one I don't feel comfortable in that I, I I've been married for, oh, I don't know. We can't ever remember. Uh, sometimes like 56. <laughs> I like that. We can't remember. <laughs> I'm going to steal that life. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and before that, I, I, we were a couple from the time we were basically 14 years old. Wow. So that puts us over 60 years together. And wow, that's a long time. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. So we look at one another and go, really? Is this? Yeah. But, you know, it's, um, so the dating has, it's been so long. I think that's one yes. of the reasons I don't do contemporary. I was going to do I don't blame you. I don't blame I, you. I, I had husband for 60 years. I wouldn't want to be writing about dating and all that, all the trauma that comes with that. Well, and, and the phone's changing and, and, so you yeah, know how they say, "Oh, watch what you put in a book because your book isn't going to be out necessarily immediately." Um, especially, yeah. Yeah. you know, a few years back, it would be you'd you'd write a book and it would be published in a year. You know, yeah. Um, so don't say something about iPhones or cell war. phones. Or, you know how yeah. the, you know don't don't get involved in things and don't uh, you, you know tech technology has left us behind. Um, yes. And and so you don't want to get stuck with this great big shoebox of a phone in the guy's hand as he's talking on it, and everybody else now has a little flip phone or, or one that yeah, you know, tiny thing yeah, that's, that's giving you not only voice but photos and any information on the internet you want, and will yep. order your groceries and have your dinner delivered and and. Um, you know, pretty much do everything besides babysit your child. 
Yeah, well, some people do use it to babysit the children. <laughs> That's right, but you know what? It's it's um. So and and I'm afraid I don't think contemporary romance is is as romantic as it should be it's or not. could be. Yeah, it, I would I would agree that. with you on that. And so uh, when you you use women back from the 1800s, um, they they were innocent. They they had no idea uh, what sexual love was, say, or no. yeah, you know, uh, and 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 no one to tell them or uh, bad yeah. advice advice if they got any advice, <laughs> you know. So it, it's I, funny I, you I, say that. Um, one of the things that we had in Shetland growing up was called the Boon Bride Night. And that was when all the females of the family that were married would get together and they would all cram into the one house and they would have this huge meal. And every single one of the women at the table had to tell the bride to be what to expect as a married woman. So there was kind of a little bit that that went on from the 1700s in Shetland. Uh, so there was this little bit of prep that you got, but it was like the night before, so you couldn't run away. <laughs> but it was still enough that like most of the women were kind of clued into what they were what they were getting, and I think that's um, that's you know that was history for us, and I think that's really important. I did find out that Scotland had it for a number of years during the the sort of seventeen and the eighteen hundreds, um, but it died out in the nineteen hundreds. But I can safely say in Shetland, they still do the Boon Bride night the night before, um, which I think is really important because it kind of gives gives the girl a kind of, okay, this is what you're in for kind of thing. Um, and I think that's it's very good, especially if you're a young person getting married, because there's a lot of young people that get married in the islands. Um, and yeah, so I think it's, it's really, I'm grateful I got it. Because my mother did it for for my the night before my wedding, even though I'd been with the guy for like thirteen years, um, and we'd lived together for thirteen years, she still took me aside on the night before my wedding, her and my my aunt, and had a conversation with me. <laughs> and they were like, "Yeah, yeah, you need to expect this, and you need to expect that, and you need to accept this, and you need to accept this." And I was like, "Okay, that." Thank you. I think you know, like, I, um, I, bit yeah. late. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I I remember my best friend. Um, she turned to me, and she's only done this recently. She turned to me and she said, "When your husband carks it and my husband carks it, we'll run away together." <laughs> this was a plan she had cooked up one day in her head and just says to me randomly as she's driving the car and I'm like uh yeah why not you know <laughs> that this you is the watch. kind of stuff that happens to me so yeah that's a, you, you better watch that and she'll she'll help your your husband along you know when she gets bored with hers um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did think of that. I was like, I wonder if she's like scheming to do her husband's in, and I'm just not in on it. 
you know. And you're just not you're not thinking along those lines. She's trying to say, hey, you know, we can we can make this work. Um, I I remember. Yeah, I and I'm feeling like for sure. <laughs> One of my so, yeah, first books, kind of- I had a that wasn't very um, experienced, and he was afraid because his wife was a, it was she was a male order bride, but she was a widow, and he was afraid yeah. that he wasn't going to you know come up to to <laughs> expectations, and so he had his younger brother who had been off to university, and he yeah. knew had you know more experience in these things to explain things to him and (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so he's you know he's really really you know concentrating on his brother and of course his brother is thinking oh my god you know i gotta help him but this is so embarrassing to you know to but yeah i mean can you imagine that conversation though because like i mean as girls we've all had that conversation with a best friend right I've been that girl where I phoned up my best friend and I was like, hey, uh, so this guy's not like any other guy I've ever been with, you know, advice here. And and she literally burst out laughing on the phone with me and she went, oh, Crystal, oh, you poor, poor, poor thing. And she like talked to me like we had a whole conversation about it because um, I'd never been with a guy outside of Shetland before, so I didn't really know what to expect. And so she... <laughs> So she had to have this conversation with me and because uh, my mom was not great at those kind of things. And so me and her had this long conversation while I'm on a ferry headed to the mainland and she's she's giving me advice. <laughs> <laughs> We've been friends 17 well, years, so. <laughs> yeah, I see. And, and, and I'm, you know. My 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 experiences are all mental. Um, yeah, I you know I have to with these couples. They have to tell me, you know, what happens. What, yeah, what to happens. What what they're feeling and and uh, you know whatever. I mean, if I I do write a little steamy book, um, but I just think that passion is part of of love. You know, and yeah. And it's, it happens. Everybody knows it happens. And pretending yeah. it doesn't is foolish, <laughs> you know. Um, well, and it's it's often a big part of the chemistry that occurs uh, with all that serotonin and all that dopamine and everything. Endorphins, yeah. Yeah, endorphins are all, you know, I can't get enough snuffling of you. You know, it's just... It's yeah, all the pheromones. All yep. <laughs> They're all going like crazy. Um, and because this, you know, I'm not writing about people who've been married 14 years or, you know, and, and, and yeah, it's not the same. It, it's, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not the same um, as, as it is. It, when it's you're, funny you, know, you said you, that because. I was always hesitant about writing steamy novels. I always, like, I had a kind of this, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing kind of feeling. And I wrote Summer of Him, which was probably the steamiest thing I ever wrote, because they wanted me to explore that sexual side of the relationship. And 
So I took an erotica author, which I thought was like, okay, this will make it a little bit easier for me. I'll take an erotica author and I'll take a fighter and I'll put them together. Surely that'll work. And I just didn't realize just how steamy I had to go to get these two to actually work because he, you know, because you can almost think of it in the opposite way of your work, whereas he was very experienced in relations with women. And she was very much in the mindset of this is what I write for a living. So her expectations were already super high for him. So when I had to do their chemistry, it was almost like they were in competition with each other to see who could have the best reaction from their partner. And I, I never realized how good that chemistry was until somebody read it and then wrote to me and said, holy crap, Crystal, that chemistry was just off the chain. But I was, I was always iffy about doing them. And then I, with that book, it's kind of opened that door for me to kind of explore chemistry in a new way. Yeah, and I don't know where it comes from because my children, they said they hum through that part of the book. Um, when they get to, to anything, they do not want to. My friends do the same thing. Yeah. My friends all do the same thing. Uh, I actually had to sit one of my friends down and explain to my friend, the character in the book wasn't him and I wasn't the girl. I actually had to explain this to him. Yeah, this is not a diary. This is not a Yeah, I was like this this is not a sexual fantasy that I've had about you. This is a story that came to me and it just happened that it came to me the same weekend we became friends. Like it wasn't it was not predetermined, it just something that happened. And he laughed at me and he went, No, you really just wrote about me and you. And I, I was like, No, but still to He's this day, he likes well, to think I so. I was that good. <laughs> I think it gave him an ego boost. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. He, he probably has a frame somewhere over his bed going, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's weird because, like, I don't feel nervous about giving my work to female friends because I know, like, they'll come back to me and say, hey, that was the spice I needed for my relationship or whatever. Um, but I gave it to a male friend recently, uh, last couple of years, and he'd actually not read it. He gave it to his girlfriend. And he, he came back to me about three, four days later, and he said, Crystal, he said, whatever you wrote in that book of yours, just you keep doing it, because that worked out great for me. And I was like, so do you tell me you didn't read it? And he's like, nope. But my girlfriend did. <laughs> got so the job done. Yeah, I got the job done. So apparently I've saved some relationships uh, with that one. I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email with the, the title of that one so you can have a giggle. Um, but yeah, like, it, I just, I never thought of my books ever having any kind of impact or anything like that. Um, but now that there's more of it coming out, it's just blows my mind just utterly blows my mind at the way that people react yeah. do you well, get I that kind just, of reaction I, um i don't follow any feedback i i i you're guess like me because, you don't read the reviews you're kind to yourself no yeah. because 
when I when I was first putting books out there, I, of course, you know, you send them, like I sent them out to contests because you got a critique back. It was guaranteed yeah. critique back. And yeah. I thought, fine. And, and they would, you know, and I found that two out of three would like it. The third one just didn't get it. I mean, they were sometimes no. off the wall on, on some of their stuff. And I know part of it is that uh, some people think to critique means you must find a fault, a flaw. You, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Rather, I've been there. Yeah, rather than you know, accidentally find the flaws and then say, you know, this didn't seem to flow very well, or you know, yeah. Um, like I said, there's times when they go, I didn't find any chemistry. It's like, okay, that's good. I did my job because these two people are going to become brother and sister-in-law. They are not going to become, you know, bedmates. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, they're going to. Yeah, they're going to meet their partner further into the story. Um, but it's, uh, I, I'd like to do that because I didn't want a consistent. For a while, they had formulas that a writer had to stick to. Um, yeah, you meet in the first chapter by chapter sixteen. They have found a irreconcilable differences of some sort and they've gone their separate way by 24 chapter 24 they're back and madly in love again um and some of it some felt so contrived when you read a book that an author was trying to do that with yeah there's and, a lot there's a lot of that now where i think we're moving away from those rules i think we are starting to turn that corner of romance doesn't have to be set within these set boundaries or these set rules and i think that's a good thing because i think it should be about the characters it should be about their story if it has a very heavy romantic element great if it doesn't and it's just about their journey then what's wrong with just telling their journey and we can figure out the genre later. You know, I think that's, that's how I address my work now is I get an idea. I get a concept of what I want to write and I run with that idea and I just tell that story. And then I worry later on, okay, well, how am I going to market this? Where is it going to go? And I, I, I would never have done that if I hadn't listened to fellow writers and I hadn't listened to like my co-author or my friends because I would have gotten so stuck in the idea of this is the set rules I have to do it this way and there's there, you know I can't go outside the lines um, and I love it when I get other authors on here that feel the same way like yes there should be lines but don't be afraid to cross them well and, and on the that's why I kind of stepped out of romance because there was more story to mine. Yeah. Um, I, there isn't a, you know, sometimes it's kind of a little bit of a mystery. Sometimes it's, you know, murder mayhem. Um, I'm going to do one on a clairvoyant coming up. Wow. Um, a little sci-fi, but, but I believe clairvoyants are, are real that there are people who. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Whatever yeah. it is, a little deja vu, a little, uh, wait a minute. I, did I just see something float across my my room? Um, so you know, there, I believe in that, and my family yeah. has very strong uh, connections to yeah. things that that maybe are in the past or or in the future. I, um, I can safely say, it, growing up in Shetland, it was kind of known that some women had 
what we called the gift. And the gift was that you could almost feel other people's lives. You could always feel what they were going through, but you could also see what was coming at them or at yourself. And I think for the longest time in Shetland, they thought these women were mad, but there is that kind of acceptance level of there is people with these very unique gifts and they're very much more accepted into the community now. Whereas before they were kind of like shunned and, you know, don't have anything to do with them kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it is something I grew up with. Like my grandmother always knew what I was going to do before I did it. And sometimes she would just appear as I was having the idea of doing something I wasn't supposed to. And she'd be like, Crystal, what are you doing? And just like, she would just know that I was up to something. And I would look up at her and I would try my most innocent face that I could pull off. And I'd be like, nothing. And she would be like, get that idea out of your head and behave. Like she would just know. Like she always knew. And I always said, like, she would, she was a great believer in ghosts as well. Like, you know, she would talk to me all the time about, oh, the girl, the first ghost I ever saw was when I was eight. And I'd be like, wait, there's really ghosts in the world? Like, she totally changed my viewpoint on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes I use that a little bit in my stories. Um, but, I guess I'm very acceptable to the fact yeah. in the real world. If someone, um, uh, my sister is a Wiccan, and so, you know, we yeah. just, the uh, white witch, uh, she just, um, you know, does her thing. Um, it takes all kinds. Like, everybody has their own perspective and their own look on things. And, I mean, I've been friends with every possible walk of life that's ever existed um, whether he, you know, my friend has been a wrestler or a Wiccan or a fisherman or worked in a, in the army or the Navy. I have literally met so many walks away that nothing surprises me anymore. Like there's very little that surprises me. And I think the more you kind of get older, the more accepted you are of different people of different walks of life. So my, my daughter does past life regression um, oh wow with with people yes with people she's often asked me you did i think my characters were people who were were real live people at one point yeah i i told her i didn't think so but then again they do come to me as a pair usually and yeah. tell me the story i mean i add to their story sometimes on well what would what would they do if they got into this situation and because they're there i know what they would do what happened what they said to one another what they said to somebody else um so are they you know am i am i channeling i i don't think so but if i'm channeling i'm channeling a lot of different people <laughs> and, yeah i and, mean it's, it's not impossible yeah, they're real to me at the time. And I know when, when the story, when I'm done writing down their story, their story isn't over. They're not done. I can tell you, like, okay, what is Callie doing now? Well, she's on her fourth child. She's, you know, she's still uh, working 
with their rancher husband and you know um that's yeah. the kind of thing they they are real to me in that way and i they live on them, yeah they live on yeah they live on and 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 uh you know if i looked around i could maybe find Callie's great grandchildren you know out in Kansas running around or whatever yeah running around yeah. causing mayhem yeah <laughs> i love that and I, I love the fact that we've been able to have you on today. So tell us, how do you balance your your writing life and your normal life? What's what's your process? Um, because I, I the job I still have, I can do and fit in, and it's not doesn't take up much time right now. Um, I have to put together some contracts or some leases. Um, yeah. So the rest the rest of my time is my own. Um, I do sit down with my husband from seven o'clock till probably one o'clock in the morning watching television. Yeah. Uh, I do enjoy that. I, the rest of the time I can get up and sit in front of the computer and I can write and he, he disappears and he, he does his thing. Uh, we're both in the, we're both retired in the home. Uh, yeah. And, but he has some, work that he still does and uh and then like like you know so we're you know we have we mostly have meals here at home we don't go out a lot uh that was emphasized by but uh i don't know um it sounds like you find the perfect balance because you you've got your time with your partner but you've also got your time to write and time to enjoy all the fruits that comes with writing, all the enjoyment of the writing, the stories and the excitement and the editing and all the parts that I think sometimes we all take for granted, which is the, you know, the actual making of the story and then watching it take flight. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that sounds like a perfect balance that you've created. And my husband's been very supportive. I mean, I didn't really start writing books for publication until I was 65, but um, yeah, and we've always worked together as a couple all the way through our lives, no matter what we yeah. were doing. And um, he supports me in the sense that he tries to disappear. He says, "I give he he gives me quiet time." And yeah, um, he has headphones. If you know that he'll volunteer to put headphones on if I want to continue writing. Uh, yeah, but I am so prolific, and I get. And I type fairly fast, and so I yeah. get it. I get it, you know, a lot done. I I, I put off usually um, one full book, maybe two. Um, they're not as as long. They're usually about thirty five to forty thousand words, just yeah. because that's what my publisher at the time wants. They yeah, don't of course, want, yeah. They don't want the sixteen eighty thousand, yeah. uh, you know, words that that other publishers do um which is good because the you know i always feel like when you're doing 60 to eighty thousand, it's almost like you feel it's like a little bit too much for some stories and then it's like not enough for others i always feel like it's hard to gauge where you're going to land in that kind of that word count if you know what i mean i i always mm-hmm. like prefer to see where the story just goes on its own yeah, and, and the publisher I have now, the DSP, he he would prefer me to do a second second book if it's going to be yeah. that long of a, a story. 
um, yeah. give them. And, and that, that's actually the size, you know, I don't like to read much more than 50 or 60,000 a day uh, words. So yeah. I'd like to be able to pick up my book at noon and be done with it when it's time for me yeah, to of course. make dinner. Yeah. And uh, rather than, you know, some people will carry these very, very, very large tombs and around and, and I just, I would, um, I can keep it in my head, my story. I, I've been I, one I of often those that have slugged through them, yeah. I've, uh, you know, and, and I can uh, read more than one, one story at a time sometimes. Um, but yeah, I do that I, as well. I prefer to, to start and end and go, oh, isn't that wonderful? You know, whatever, because I like happy ever after. Um, Afters, books yeah. and writers for the most part. So, uh, and there's enough other stuff in the world to bring you down. I think your reading exactly should raise you up because it's, I think it's that's I think that's what yeah. yeah. And I think I think with romances, like I think everyone just thinks, oh, we create these couples and and give them happily ever afters, but for the most part romance writers we try to create a world that you can escape into so that you can deal with all the depressive crap that's going on in our lives like it almost gives us permission to set aside the awfulness of the world and just have some fun for like a half an hour or however long it, it takes for you to read however long you want to read um and i i know that's the reason I got into romance was I wanted to give the hope of love and the perspective of different kinds of love to different people. Um, do I dabble in other genres now? Yes, I, I do. But I think that's because I'm so prolific. Like I just signed a contract a couple months ago to say that I would do one book a month for three years. I must be insane to sign that first and foremost. <laughs> but... I signed it because I was like, I I have such a catalog of stuff that I want to, to get out there. And this place was taking this huge risk on me and my co-author to do it. That I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's see how this goes. Let's see where we can take this. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm jumping into your kind of world in that regard where I'm going to try and put one out every month for the next three years. That is an undertaking, yes. um, only in the sense that about the time you do that, then your brain freezes on you and you go, what? No, yep. I haven't had a brain freeze because if I'm not writing one story, it's because another one is interrupting it. And so you go, okay, yep. we'll put this one over here. I'll work on that tomorrow. All right. You know, what, I do what's that as problem? well. I... What, what, what do you need me to have, you know, put down? And so that I can get rid of the second couple for a while and 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 yeah. get their their story down a little bit i've got probably 50 uh, works in progress i call them but really they're basically the title and a little bit about the story whatever that is yeah. and i've got maybe 50 of them uh going and um uh, and every once in a while somebody will say something in my mind and i go oh all right so i have to find that that work in progress bring it down and then say, okay, Brett says da, 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 da. And then that's all I, that's all, maybe all I'll put on that book for, you know, six months. But he came, yeah. he gave me a line or two of whatever and, and 
then I, you know, fly out back. Oh, away. I, I, I wish my work could work that way because in my head, if, if you were to walk inside my brain, it's like a forest just full of trees and every path takes you somewhere else, like to a different story, to a different world. And my problem is if I'm working on one book and the characters that have decided from a different story they want to invade, I have to stop that book, take out my notebook for whatever book they've come from, and I have to make those notes. What happens or what I hate happening is when I totally know that I have to get that specific book done and I hit a wall because I didn't make enough notes. That I hate because I'm usually a plotter. I'm usually a planner. I usually have thousands of notepads spread out over the house with this is what happens in this chapter. This is what happens in the next. So that I don't ever have that let's hit the brick wall and figure things out. Uh, Working with my co-author is so helpful because if I do really hit the wall, I can turn to him and be like, so I hit the wall. Help. Can you get me out of this? And usually he has like just this small idea that will allow me to slip through whatever it is that's blocking my way and and let me continue on. Um, And that's why sometimes I'm I'm very grateful to have a co-author. How much work does your co-author do? Is it a 50-50 or 25-75 or does it, he just keep you going in the right direction? I would say I probably, I do 80% and he does 20 where he'll, if I've got a wrestling scene or if I've got a fight scene or I've got something that requires his expertise, he'll come in and he'll say, right this is how it would work. And he would write it down for me. And then I would go in and I would just make it feel as if there was no transaction between me and him. So it flows through the whole story. Um, so there's, there's a lot of days he'll get a random text from me being like, okay, so this is where I'm at in the story and I need an answer to this dilemma or what do you think our characters should do for this? So he's very good at being that kind of safety net and guide for that particular series. Um, and I, I do feel for him because I, I will just send him, I'll forget he doesn't know what I'm thinking or what I'm doing. So I'll just send him a message completely without context. And he has to sit there for like 10 minutes and be like, what is she, what was she asking me? And then he figures out where I'm at and then he kind of writes back to me with an answer. Uh, sometimes it takes a couple of days, sometimes it takes a week, but he always does, does come back to me and be like, Oh, okay. I see where you're going with this. Okay, this is this is the answer to your question. Um, so yeah, but he he gets copies of all the chapters I write, and he reads them, and then sends notes in, and I'll make adjustments, and and that's it's a really good working relationship that we've ended up with. So just wondering, I was yeah, no, it's it's I'm... good to share though. It's good to share like how we work because it's totally different to how other writers co-write and I think every writer has a different experience like I'm working with a different writer right now who's so hands-on compared to him whereas he'll he'll let me do my thing and then comes in and adds his stuff whereas this other person I I literally work side by side with so we'll put in like three four hours together just going through the thing that we're working on page by page and then I'll go off with him and then I, I have to go work on something else. But it's it's taught me a lot about working with people. And it's also taught me how to trust in my own talent, how to be 
confident within myself and to not doubt myself, which I think we all have those moments as writers. <laughs> do you well, not I do you have those moments? Um, I'm a panster because I've, I've always said I'm not really writing a story. You know, my characters are. Yeah. Uh, they have thrown me sometimes. They have, um, you know, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised uh, a, a, with them a lot of times. Uh, I think they, they write better than I do it. And so I, I give them their their lead and just, you know, let, let them go on. There's times, like I say, when I question what they would do if this happened or if that happened. And um, but I don't I don't try to steer it to to much, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't lay a plot out because unless I'm willing to alter it. Because yeah. sometimes uh, something comes in and and you go, well, that one. I mean, I, I know I know my people from the beginning, so I know what they'll do. That's how I know there's a happy yeah. ending. At the, <laughs> but it, yeah. it is, um, there's sometimes, you know, and they don't, they don't all of a sudden throw a hissy fit or they don't all of a sudden, you know, abandon, abandon one another, uh, like they, yeah. they used to do in, in these books. Like, really? You were so mad at your love yesterday, but today because she, you know, wore the wrong color umbrella, it's... No, You're you done? Know, there's, yeah. There's no way you could live with her in a, ever, you know? It's, um, when there's too contrived. And I guess that's why I let the my characters do it, because I don't want it to appear contrived. Yeah, it's just a really good way of working. So, well, thank you for coming on the show because it's, I mean, an absolute pleasure. And you survived. You've done it. You've done the whole hour and a half. That, you know, it's not as painful as everyone thinks it's going to be. <laughs> and we'll have to you have you back. I'm talking them into it. <laughs> yeah, I do. You know, it's like I, I'll get people that comes to me and says, oh, you know, the podcast sounds really awesome and really fun. And then when it comes to the day that they come on, they all, I always have somebody that freaks out. I always have somebody that sometimes I have people that no show two or three times because they're too nervous. Mm. And then they show up and they do it and they're like, Oh, I didn't realize that it would actually be fun. So a lot of the time, yeah, there's a lot of hand holding usually that goes into this. Um, but with you, I haven't had to do that at all. So thank you for making it so easy. I always have time to talk. I always, um, yeah, yeah. I love listening to your accent for for one thing, and learning about the history. Um, yeah, Boone Boone Knight is going to end up into one of my books. I'll tell you that. Uh, I often I would be delighted with, to see that. Yes, yes. Um, I've I've used similar things with the sister in laws. Have gotten together to. To give their, you know, their maiden uh, spinster sister by law of, you know, a little talking to talking to, yeah, 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 <laughs> and explaining things, um, and and uh, that usually has come out, you know, well yeah. for for the, the bride to be, but um, I didn't realize that there was actually a boon night. And that yeah, that makes that makes sense. You know, the English always had the 
the mother-daughter talk the night before the wedding. It's like, really? You couldn't do it, you know, one hour earlier? No, it has yeah. to be the night before the wedding. Moon night is the I, same I think thing. they it's do like, that so you, you don't run away. They do, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, so you can't check yeah. it out. You, you keep saying, really? That's, really? That's going to happen? So... Well, yeah. I mean, it, and it, right. if you Google it, you'll you'll see that they actually have a special meal that they make, and they have uh, crocheting, and they have sewing, and they they do a lot of stuff in that night. It's not just them sitting around drinking wine and talking. It's it's very much a hands on night where you know this poor woman who can't sleep anyway because she's just about to get married is essentially put to work uh with with her in-laws and her sisters and her family and and is given an education along the way so to speak um and it you know they do it as well like when when they have the the pregnancy when they get their first kid they'll have like um they call it the watch so like the you know at the very beginning when they first get pregnant they watch each other um and they kind of talk the woman through what she's to expect and help her when she's she's going through the rough first trimester and and it's it's good because it's is women women in Shetland were very supportive until the nineteen hundreds and then it's it's not been as supportive. But it it was. It was very much like the women had to look out for each other because the men were away fishing and they were risking their lives constantly at sea. So anyone that was on the the land was taking care of each other. So um, yeah, and I just, I, I was fascinated by history because of that, because of the fact that if you grow up in Shetland, you grow up in a Viking community. So they tell the stories about the Vikings, they tell the tales, the, the old legends, and everything gets passed on. And yeah, it's, it's even the Viking names are, are, are making a comeback in the islands. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. I would, I would recommend having a look and see. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, guys, next week we've got a bestseller who's coming on to give us a little bit of a surprise. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Until then, I will see you guys all next week. Be safe and don't shoot yourselves.